Tune in to independent music culture and the conversations which surround it. Subscribe to Crack Audio Stories to listen to audio cover stories, on-the-ground reporting and exclusive artist interviews. Search now for Crack Magazine wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Nicholas Terrell Scott. I am a music and culture journalist based in London. Um, and I'm joined here today with Kieran Thapa, who is a journalist as well and a writer, but I'll let him introduce himself in a little bit. And then, of course, we've got AM from Skengdo and AM, who is a collective from Brixton who partake in music. And I'll let AM obviously get into that in a second as well. But Kieran, I want to kind of start with you. Just talk to me a little bit about your work, both in youth and both in journalism and how you got involved in both disciplines. Sure. So, yeah, so my name is Kieran Thapper and I'm the author of Cut Short, Youth Violence, Loss and Hope in the City. And the book is the result of six years of simultaneous youth work and writing in South London. And during that time, I have worked in schools, youth clubs, prisons with young people who face systemic disadvantage. I've ran lots of different mentoring programs and worked with young people who are at risk of of violence and exploitation. The writing I've written about music culture, but also inequality in London and London as a city, British society in general. Kieran, before I moved to AM as well, like what inspired the book and when did you start writing it? I obviously know because I read it and you revealed it in the book, but I'd just love for you to put a bit of context around Cut Short and what inspired such a thought-provoking kind of book because I finished it recently and it's so harrowing and so aspirational as well and inspirational too to the youth and to people who have dealt with kids as well. So I'd just love to to kind of know where that came from, from you in your own words. So the book idea came about in 2018 when in the summer, it was really hot, the hottest summer ever recorded in the UK. Everyone remembers that, you know, the Football World Cup was on. Everyone was kind of like celebrating the summer. But because of my youth work in Brixton, my daily experience was, yeah, making sense of the summer but also seeing how young people were suffering and like experiencing a lot of violence so it was like these two versions of the city that I was I felt like I had a window into both sides and that's kind of like the period of time where I was like, I need to write I need to go deep on this and like try and try and write something bigger than just a few pieces on it also that was a period of time when my writing was taken off because drill music was suddenly discovered by the masses and so they started clamping clamping down on it so I was basically trying to write journalism to push back against the clampdown so it was always, it was like this big moment that sort of yeah generated me planning the book and then I spent the yeah spent the next year planning it and then the year after that writing it and here we are now Thank you so much, AM, for joining as well. Can you just give us a background into obviously who you are for some people who may not know who you are? Just give me a background into your music, how you got involved in music and where you are today. I know you've obviously released music recently as well. So, Cool, cool. Well, it's AM. Um, I'm part of a music duo called Skengdo and AM. So my friend Skengdo is who I meet music with. Been doing music for about four years now five years yes it's been a long it's been a long journey still releasing music and we're based in south london brixton 
we've done a lot. We've done um, two UK tours and had a lot of good songs. So that's kind of where it's at. Amazing. And also, um, I know that you've widely kind of spoken about how the music reflects your real life experiences as well and what you've kind of gone through, which can sometimes kind of be mischaracted in, in mainstream media as well as people like Kieran said, discovered drill the, over the last few years. Can you just talk about what experiences have been in your music and in terms of that misrepresentation, how you kind of push back against that? I feel like our thing was the violence and stuff that we're talking about. People are misinterpreting it as um, glamorizing it, as opposed to exposing it. So we're exposing the violence that we that we see in and out, day in day out. Because the the music and the style of music we're doing is popular, it's seen as glamorized, and obviously that's where the problems start to come in. And people trying to shut down what we're what we're talking about. But in terms of real life experiences. Definitely in terms of the violence, the poverty, and all of that is what we're seeing day to day. And in terms of then moving forward with drill, older generations, you know, like even older millennials to, you know, baby boomers as well, trying to contort themselves to kind of understand this genre and oftentimes getting it wrong. This happened with Chief Keef in the United States from loads of publications calling Drew a short-term thing to people over here obviously saying it was a catalyst for youth violence and some, in some cases kind of the determining factor for youth violence. I definitely was reading some stuff from the Daily Mail in preparation for this and kind of remember seeing it back then kind of demonizing Drew almost and kind of ignoring the stories and kind of just calling it a genre of chaos and violence in, in the chain of causation. So in terms of the media's role in documenting drill, how do you think that they've done so far? Do you think it's getting any better? Do you think it's worse? Do you think it's kind of stereotypical? Just talk to me about what you've seen as people who are artists and, and consumers of the music. To be fair, I always knew it was going to be one of those things where the media and everyone else is going to have to accept it because the force is too powerful. Like, it's a sound and it's not going anywhere. All I can see it doing is developing and maturing and going into different lanes. So the media, the way initially there was talking about Joe and trying to, trying to blame it for a lot of the violence going on, that was, it was definitely just like them using it as a scapegoat. It was, it was detrimental to a lot of people, especially the people that started off with the drill because um, putting all these asbos and orders and injunctions on music and people makes it very hard for you to concentrate on your craft and to develop it. And where the scene moves so fast, that little pause that you've had could have a big toll and a big effect on your career. As the years has gone by, and now obviously Joe's songs have been hitting number one, it's like the reports, they're, they're still, they're still going to be negative, especially when things are happening, but um, people are starting to understand a bit more that, hold on, this doesn't make any sense, really and truly. How is this song going to hit number one in the UK and it's causing the violence? Like, the correlation doesn't add up. Like, at the end of the day, it's just music. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for your insights as obviously an artist as well. Um, you mentioned even number one, before I go to Kieran, even, you know, the Daily Mail, I think we all kind of know the reputation that that has in terms of documenting Black activity, um, 
as it pertains to kind of music as well. They kind of titled the documentation of Tion Wayne's and Russ's body as soundtrack to murder even just two months ago. So as I was kind of researching in preparation for this chat, it's still the echoes of kind of misrepresentation still seem to kind of take place on this level. But Kieran, I will jump to you as well. How do you feel like as a journalist, again, similar feel to myself, that they've done in documenting drill wider media? I think I echo what AM said in some ways, because I think time heals and time allows people to understand stuff a bit more. So there is obviously, although those kind of headlines will still exist, you know, which is a shame and it's wrong. I, I do think that there is just a, like a way bigger pool of writers and people and commentators who are able to like speak about the music with nuance now. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just like I've got mates that were like four years ago being like mate why are you listening to this music who didn't get it who are now like it's their favourite type of music you know what I mean so so it just grow, it, it evolves and it grows and people change their mind and people get used to stuff so stuff yeah. just has moved on I think what's interesting maybe to mention here is that when I was in 2018 when the moral panic sort of started in the media when it was literally like churning out pieces that were like just hot takes on it i was getting a commission to write a bunch of stuff on it because people wanted you know people wanted opinions and i'd been writing about it already and at the time i felt like i was in this sort of this wrestling match with the rest of the the media to be honest and i and there were definitely other writers doing it as well but i felt quite like lonely in like trying to fight this force you know at the time and you know I, I feel proud about about it and I feel like I, I did a good job of it and whatever but the last time I wrote a piece of journalism about drill music was properly was when I interviewed IFB in 2019 and that, and that was deliberate that I stopped then because I was like I've said my piece on this I feel like I've I, like I've, I mentor other writers younger writers younger black writers so they can write about this music genre themselves and rep- represent it more directly and then since then, I've like just doubled down on on doing youth work using drill as opposed to writing about it. So it was I kind of went through a journey myself as the media did too. I will add as well that although I said that like people get used to stuff and like mm-hmm. clearly a drill track going to number one is something to celebrate and that's great. And it represents the fact that the sound is changing or growing or whatever. I will also say that like, you know, this just this morning I wrote a report for a court case where they're using drill lyrics to convict someone. So I'm now being asked more and more to do this, to push back against the police attempts to use lyrics in court cases. And this is becoming like every single week is getting more and more they're doing this. So on the one hand, you've got a number one, but on the other hand, like you've got people being locked up and in their court files, there's their lyrics, you know, as AM will be able to talk more directly about than anyone there's two lanes to this, you know, there's a dark side and a light side to it. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of success going on, but there's also a lot of madness going on in the background. Definitely. There was a piece from Vice that Andre G, who's from New York, a journalist wrote about actually drills being used in court cases as well. And I think last year and the year before, those kind of articles started to kind of crop up as well. And I realised as well that, you know, they were used to incriminate young, predominantly black boys and used to kind of sentence them to prison as well. So AM, I want to go to you because moving into kind of the police involvement in, in this and kind of jurisdiction, 
what have you faced? Obviously, I've read about the injunctions for attempted in Coco in 2019. I've read about you even not being able to kind of afford to fight that injunction as well, even whilst being one of the most recognisable faces in British drill. But talk to me about your experiences with the law following you deciding to be a drill artist and talk about your experiences with Skengdo. Yeah, so it all started in 2018. Like that was the peak of our career where we had a tour in the beginning of the year around about March. Yeah. And we had another tour scheduled for December. Attempted to come out. We'd flown out to America to do a feature with Chief Keith. And obviously mm-hmm. he's one of the main people that started the US um drill. So it was a very positive part of our lives. And as soon as we landed back from America, we got in, like an injunction was imposed on us. So he wasn't served or anything. They went to court without us there all of that the the police force so obviously now we've got this injunction imposed on us and it's got so many different conditions one of them being like I can't be with Skengdo I can't contact him directly or, or indirectly yet we have a company together a business account together like it made no sense so we had to go to court and get that ruled out yeah but there was a lot of stuff that was under injunction and obviously Part of that was performing music that's going to incite violence or whatever. But the inciting violence was a very gray area because it's down to, it's just subjective, you know what I mean? So there's no real, this is inciting and this isn't. So then obviously we performed a song in Coco. Obviously this song was scheduled to be played anyway. It's one of our, it was one of, it was a very popular song. People bought tickets anticipating to hear the song. So there was no, it was not going to perform that song. Then we got a breach of our injunction for that. They attempted to send us to jail then, but the judge gave us a suspended sentence. And then, yeah, just over those two years, they were just heavily on us. Like my vehicle, that I got stopped by the police over 20 times. Lots of things like that. And then even this this year was the most, it was the worst because obviously the police knew the injunction was ending. So I'd been pulled by the police like in three months, about 20, 20 odd times. And one time we got pulled by the police. On the injunction, it says we're not allowed to enter two postcodes there. But we had a drive-through clause to my to my knowledge, so we can drive through the area. We just can't stop and get okay. out and do anything. So obviously, one late night, me and Skangle's coming back from the studio. We drive through one of the postcodes. Police follow us back to our estate, stop us in the estate, and then tell us. They try everything down to insurance to um, get us down. They breathalyzed me, everything, and everything was clean. So when they put at the injunction, now they said, "Oh, you're not allowed to enter this postcode." And I said, "We have a drive-through clause." They said, "On our document here, it doesn't say you have a drive-through clause." So for that reason, we're arresting you for breach. They arrested us, held us in their cells overnight, took us to court the next morning, and then we went court. And the judge checked the injunction and said, "Yo, this injunction was done like a week ago." So get these two out of my courtroom. Like they're here for no reason. The injunction's over. Yeah. But it just got me thinking. If I if that had happened two months ago, we would have been doing jail time for driving through an area. That's the power that the police had. So um, it was just it was a bit it was it was silly. Definitely, I think even watching you know something like defending Digger D and just talking to people who are involved in this world as well, and I think the nuance and the granular level that you just highlighted is so so important in in kind of talking about this and how it affects youth in real time. I know that you obviously, Kieran, in your book highlighted the approaches, the multi layered approaches to which we can kind of help youth violence kind of be lessened or kind of dealt with on on kind of 
as a, again, kind of granular levels with multiple figures involved. I want you to kind of expand on that concept that you kind of came up with and just talk to me about what you see as kind of the ways in which people like myself can help youth going forward. Sure. So in Cut Short, each chapter is a different theme. So you have education, gentrification, social media, criminal justice, politics. There's different layers, which I try and basically I've done, I did that deliberately because I kind of did it. I wanted it to be a bit like The Wire where you're watching these seasons and you're learning about Baltimore incrementally. So, you know, you as a viewer you're not overwhelmed with how all this complex world that's going on right away is gradually, it's gradually introduced to you so you can understand it. And that's the same thing with Cut Short. So I present all the different problems that I see as going on in schoolings, excessive exclusions, the fact that there is like very, very little support for, for young people who, who struggle to kind of toe the line of getting good exam results. If you're not able to do that often in academies, you're hung up to dry often or at the end of it excluded. So I think that's a core problem all the way to like criminal justice, like we just talked about, like the different tools that the police are using to like basically convict young people more than they need to, you know, lock them up as opposed to trying to support them through the difficulties they're going through. So there are all these different problems that exist that when they're built up, it means that the character of Carl in the book, which is based on a real person or based on a real set of people, yeah. um, Carl goes through this process of being excluded from school and then being failed by all the different adults that should be supporting him. But actually what ends up helping him is the fact that he was able to receive mentoring from people like myself and others in a youth club and yeah. so that I guess speaks to s- solutions and so it's the solutions I present in Cut Short is essentially we need to like more spaces to engage with young people and I, and I think the way that, that that can exist in a school it could exist in a youth club but it can also be um, you know that there are lots of charities lots of charities that are struggling now as a result of COVID but yeah. nonetheless lots of charities that exist that would bite the hand off of someone like yourself or an everyday person, if if that approach, if that if if they're approached in the right way, and I think that if people want to try and support young people or help this issue, it's about figuring out what you can bring to the table. You know, what maybe what job you do or what skill set you have or what experience of life you have, who you think you might be able to support, and then yeah, being patient and persistent and and being consistent in turning up for young people as a mentor, as a volunteer admin person, whatever it is, we need more hands on deck for basically trying to solve this problem. Um, and I think it, it is doable if, if we all, it's going to take a while, but we, we all need to get stuck into it. Definitely. Um, one question that I actually was going to ask you to is about the school to prison pipeline. Now you mentioned you you kind of dedicate a whole kind of few pages to this kind of concept. Having people work, who work in schools as well, I know of this pipeline and kind of the dualities that exist in the UK because it is very much in media kind of broadcast as a US thing, but it's very real in the UK and happening in real time right now. So I wanted to move it to AM and ask what your school life experience was like for either yourself, your peers or both groups? And did you experience this kind of experience between kind of the school to prison pipeline? And talk to me about some real time examples if you have or know what that looks like. You see with the school system now, I've always thought to myself like the school system is failing young people simply because like even when I was in college, my, my college had a policy where if you're involved in a fight, no matter if you're the aggressor or you're defending yourself, 
both people get kicked out. Mm-hmm. They had a zero zero tolerance policy for fighting. But where where my problem started with is from nursery, um, there's so much emphasis on education. Education's good, don't get me wrong, but there's, there's so much emphasis on education and getting to the next level. So even in your six, the sats is like you gotta do your sats. If you want to get into secondary school, you've got to do well. And the only emphasis there is on doing well in education. Now if somebody's challenged in when it comes to education, they now have limited options because it's like the only emphasis that's been put on from young to now is you've got to do well, you've got to pass this exam, you've got to do this. So when you can't do that, all of a sudden now, what other options do you have? You know what I mean? And there's all these extracurriculum activities, especially when I was coming up, they were just brushed and not, and not taken as serious. So now, um, coming up now, in school, I feel like where they're kicking kids out of schools and sending them to centres and things like that, mm-hmm. they're already punishing um, young people's chance of getting a good enough education. And to me, that's a direct downward spiral because people don't know how they're thinking, how, how am I going to get money? All I know is if I work hard, I'm going to get a job, I get a good job, I'm going to pass my exams, get a degree, get a good job. Now, if I, if I can't do that, what else am I going to do? So that's that's another, that's one issue about kicking kids out. My second issue is labelling kids as bad kids. Anyone that I grew up with will come up with in school, anyone that's a bit antisocial, anyone that gets angry easily, anyone that um, is labelled a bad kid, I've always known them to have a difficult life outside of school. Yeah. So that translates in school and a lot of teachers aren't, they're not educated enough or they're not um they're not at that level to understand when there's an issue and how that child can be helped. Before you know it, they're kicked out of school or whatever. Within that time you're out of college now. Because let's say you get kicked out in October, you can next enroll maybe in January for another college. From from October to January, what are you doing? You know, what can you do? So that's how a lot of people are getting involved into crime, getting involved just by being idle and where there's no um, youth centres, where there's nothing in place for people to do. And they say there's things in place, but they're telling young people to actively go and find these programmes that are in place. And I remember one time at Estate, yeah, they were given a budget by the government and they gathered all people around my age group and brought us in for a meeting and said, "Um, we've been given this money, how do we allocate it? I was telling them, yo, like, we need to build a studio here. We need to build a creative room here. They said, no, nah, it has to be educational. So then I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You're not going to get somebody in their summer holiday to come off chilling the est- on the estate to come into a, an environment to do educational things. That's not enticing. That's not, that's not realistic. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and highlight that... Um I remember hearing some of the synergies between what Kieran discussed in terms of austerity, which our conservative government continues to do, which led to things like youth, both financial kind of programs and physical centres being closed down in large droves across the tens, which kind of impacted kids. And then obviously the pros, which you're talking about when you say centres as well, which school kids get kicked out of pupil referral units are where they're kind of met with kind of options to kind of get money, advancing different lifestyles, 
and kind of led to the streets in some ways as well, both in and outside of those kind of units too. So yeah, I just wanted to thank you again for that. AM, again, this one comes for you as well in terms of just as an artist that's continued to thrive and continue to kind of hold it down while, you know, Skengdo obviously deals with um, some legal issues right now as well. What advice do you have for other artists? Um, I know it sounds like a cliche, but some, you know, real advice. I think you're the perfect person. Real advice that kind of can usher some of these kids into positions where they'll be able to better themselves, I guess. I just feel like if you're doing drill music and if it's like where I've come from and you're talking about real life experiences, we've come from a place where there's no trust for the police whatsoever. The things we've seen growing up from a young age has completely eradicated our trust for police. So obviously coming up like that, it's very easy to be arrogant and I'd say barky at the police. But I've learned over the years how to handle the police. And obviously they're more intimidated by someone that's intelligent and somebody that knows their stuff than somebody that's just going to shout at them and be violent because they expect that. They've been in the force for how many years? That's all they get. So when they see someone like me or like us, that's what they're expecting and they're trained to handle that. They're not trained to handle somebody that's intellectual, somebody that knows what they're talking about and somebody that can defend themselves especially when you're doing music and you're trying to elevate in life, just do your due diligence, do your research and understand your rights and know how to come at the police properly and just focus on the music and use that as your driving force because at the end of the day, their whole aim is to stop it, stop the music and get you back into a cycle of poverty and back into a cycle where you have to do crime to get money and with that comes jail and that's their mission complete. And one thing I'd like to get out there is a lot of people, I think a lot of people are afraid to do other things because they feel like it's not respectable. So in the, in the, in the environment we come from, people's confused a lot of stuff. They've confused badness for respect. And obviously where people do badness, they do get respect, they get feared and respected. But that's not the only thing that's respected. Mainly, like the biggest thing that's respected is somebody that can provide somebody that can get their family out of a bad situation, somebody that can step up. So you need to understand whatever avenue you're taking, whether you're doing football, whether you're doing music, whether you're doing art, whether you're in school, own that and you be a provider. If you've come from a bad situation, own that. 110%. 110%. We've run out of time, unfortunately. There were so many more themes, but I think we covered a lot of ground. And I just want to thank both AM and Kieran today for being here, both amazing voices and both powerful kind of purveyors of the true stories that lie beyond drill, the censorship and kind of the, the violence um, of the youth and kind of are bright examples of the future as well. As we kind of kept talking about throughout this segment, cut short, youth violence, lost and hope in the city is out now. Please take a read of it. It is an incredible novel and it will kind of give you the perspective and clarity of a youth worker in South London who is helping to kind of document these stories and get the personal stories from people in those specific communities as well. Crack Audio.